Welcome to the Compounding Center Connections, where we talk about different health conditions with our partnered practitioners. I'm your host, Jay Gill, a compounding pharmacist from the Compounding Center in Leesburg, Virginia. At the Compounding Center, we collaborate with practitioners, create custom medications, and help our patients get better. In today's episode, we have Dr. Megan Lee with us from the Lee Clinic in Leesburg, Virginia. We're going to talk about small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, or also called SIBO. In one of our past uh, podcasts on migraine headaches in women and hormone connection, I think it was uh, episode number 15, uh, we touched upon this subject. So we decided to have a separate discussion on this important topic. So, uh, Megan uh, or Dr. Lee, could you please introduce yourself to the listeners and viewers? Hello, I'm Dr. Megan Lee. I'm the physician at the Lee Clinic. Uh, we are located in Leesburg and Winchester, and we have a focus on thyroid, hormones, and gut health. Awesome. Now, a disclaimer for everyone. Uh, the information discussed today is for informational purposes only, not for diagnosis or treatment. All right, so let's get started. So tell us what is SIBO and how common is it? Okay, so SIBO is small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. It's a condition where the small bowel, so you have your small intestine and then you have your large intestine, which your small intestines have some bugs, but it's overly grow, overgrown by too many bacteria. So most of them should be in the large intestine, but for some reason they moved up to the small intestine. And, you know, as far as the people who I suspected in, about a third of patients with IBS test positive for it. And the okay. odds of SIBO in someone with IBS is about, you know, increased by fivefold. So it can okay. sort of it, it live in that, you know, the people I test for that are people with um, symptoms, but you can be asymptomatic with SIBO as well. Gotcha. Okay. Well, how does it, uh, like, how does that happen? So the overgrowth. Anything- yeah, so anything that in causes the the bugs to move up. So anybody who has motility disorders, so as we age, sometimes we can have motility disorders. If you have diabetes, which the nerves, you know, people get nervous system issues and they don't remove gastroparesis, so they don't move it as much. Low stomach acid, though, um, and chronic pancreatitis are two of the biggest re- um, causes for it. Um, and then the low stomach acid can be from, from uh, proton pump inhibitor use, stress, age, fasting, hypothyroidism, you know, anything that's anatomic, that's inhibiting, um, things from coming down constipation. Um, those are the, those are the biggest reasons, uh, but stress and age are my, the biggest things I see anything like an immune issue can, um, uh, increase your risk for SIBO as well. Okay. Now, um, so what are some symptoms that are associated with this condition? So when, you know, first of all, in the clinical aspect of it, you know, things you can have is you can have, you know, fat malabsorption. So when you have bugs in that small intestine, you impair your ability to bring in fat. And so then you get some, you get vitamin D, A, E, and K deficiencies. And the clinical, like a symptom of that is you would see is you have like floating stools or something called steatorrhea, where there's fat in your stool. 
Um, mm. Those bugs are affecting just how you absorb everything. And along with fat, you can have protein malabsorption. And so in severe, severe cases, I don't say this, you can have, you know, edema, like lower extremity edema, edema because you have low protein. Um, you can have vitamin deficiencies, vitamin B1, B3, B12. Um, but as far as like people who come to see me, so in the conventional world, you know, they, you know, bloating is the biggest symptom. You can also have flatulence, pain, a lot of people talk about diarrhea, but you can also have constipation. And then I talked about the greasy stools, that can be another thing. Um, and in like little kids, they can't really absorb their foods. So they don't gain any weight. Um, and some people can lose weight because they're just not absorbing anything at all. So weakness and weight loss can be a big issue. Um, and then, you know, down the line, if you think about like not absorbing, you know, it's really severe, not absorbing the B12, the vitamin A, the vitamin E, the vitamin K, you can have symptoms related to those deficiencies. However, in my practice, and so what I usually see are people who have more of the extra intestinal symptoms that have been missed by their GI doctor. And so that's why like, you know, this is SIBO is something that is very known and in the conventional literature, like we know it exists. It's not something that's a little more fringe, but they only focus on the gut symptoms. And so I'll always ask my patients, like, did you get breath tested for SIBO? And they're like, no, what's that? And they've had this whole workout. They'll go to an EDGE and an endoscopy, an upper endoscopy. They'll do that before they do a breath test for something, mm. which is wild. So the extra intestinal symptoms that I see and kind of pings me toward to a little bit are other symptoms that we see with other gut issues. And so there haven't been any studies that link fatigue to SIBO, um, but we do know, we do have good studies that show other gut issues are um, linked to fatigue, like Crohn's and IBS. So, but I've seen it in clinic where I treat SIBO and fatigue improves. Um, I've also seen joint pain, headaches, uh, depression, anxiety, hormonal issues, and we can talk about those, but just anything that just is kind of is gut related. And um, I also see a lot more constipation than the literature will say it's only diarrhea. Um, so that's just when my antenna goes up that I think we need to think about, you know, SIBO or, or something else. Um, no, you Go, oh, go sorry. Ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Finish. No, no, no. Please. The only, no, the only thing I wanted to add was just sometimes I will have some people where I treat where their cholesterol and their weight and their blood sugar get better, which is really fascinating. And so I think there's some studies and I don't think they're animal studies, but there's uh, information about that too, which is, you know, just tells us how important the gut is. Well, you touched on two things that uh, let's talk about. One is uh, how does it affect hormone uh, imbalance? And then remind me to, uh, to go back and ask you, what is this breath test that, uh, that you just mentioned? Okay. Yeah. So the, so hormones, obviously, you know, when I treat people, the wording I say is I want to get people from being a circus to a symphony. So everything in your body connects with each other, your hormones, your vitamins, your gut, your stress, your sleep, your exercise, your diet, everything. So you know, my job is to try to pull it all together instead of just going to see one doctor for this thing and one doctor for the other thing. And I, you know, you definitely go see those doctors. I'm not, I don't, you know, you see your conventional physicians, you, you know, go to the cardiologist, et cetera. But when those things have failed and everything's tested, tested out, you know, this is where I come into play. And so I think the first thing to understand is stress can cause 
So when a hormone, so the cortisol hormone can cause SIBO. So I always want to start there. So I have, you know, in stress can cause gut issues in general. Mm. Um, so in that way, so when we're really stressed, you know, our body is thinking about the bear and not about, you know, we've got our, our sympathetic, which is our fight or flight and our parasympathetic, which is rest and digest. And so when you're in that stressful, sympathetic state, your body's not thinking about, oh, let's digest our food. Let's divert blood to our, our stomach. So when you're chronically stressed, you can decrease the intestinal mucous membrane, which is, you know, your body just doesn't, you know, it's not interested in doing that right now. It's like, you know, there's no bear, but your body thinks it's a bear as far as running from, um, and your body will decrease blood flow to the intestinal tract. It'll lower stomach acid secretion. And that stomach acid keeps, uh, the bugs at a minimum in this, in the small intestine. So if your stomach acid falls with a proton pump inhibitor or with stress, then it allows those bugs to overgrow and doesn't let things like digestion occur appropriately. Um, and when we're also stressed, so when cortisol, the hormone is elevated and adrenaline as well, we also slow the, you know, the transit we're not in rest and digest. And so then when things don't go as fast, just like if you were to have a, an issue with motility, bugs don't go all the way out and they move upwards and then they sit in the, um, in the small intestine. Um, and then also you just don't heal as well. Cause that's not the plan. And so that's, I think an important thing to understand is like, I can, I've had people who get to me because of just stress. It's like, what, how you know, did you travel? Did you do X, Y, Z? It's like, no, I was just stressed. Now I have these gut issues or I have a dysbiosis or an overgrowth of bad bugs or SIBO. Um, but the opposite. So then, you know, it's a circle. So now when you now say you have the SIBO or you have a dysbiosis yeah. or increased intestinal permeability, you know, that is an inflammatory state. And we do have research that shows this and people, you know, luckily, you know, with Alessio Pisano at Harvard, we have a lot more information on this, but that inflammation at the gut is, is, is taxing. And so cortisol are our main hormone. So if you think about your hormones, your adrenal glands are at the top, then your thyroid hormones, then your sex hormones. So if you're going to fix those, you have to go in that order. And so if your cortisol, which is our stress hormone, say the SIBO was started from the beginning is being used to put out the flame of your gut because yeah. cortisol reduces inflammation, then it's busy and it's busy doing that. And it's not going to be helping your thyroid and your sex hormones because like, it's the same thing as the bear, your body perceives it the same way. And so if someone comes to me and they have resistant adrenal fatigue or HPA axis dysfunction, you kind of looked at everything. They don't really sound like they have a gut issue after, you know, fix their hormones, fix their thyroid, but they're still not well. I'll look at their gut because it could just be this silent source of inflammation that is stealing their cortisol because it's body's trying to fix it. And so that's sort of the adrenal aspect of it all that energy, you know, can have sleeplessness, all that stuff. And is really a gut issue. That's just taken that away. Um, and then, you know, SIBO in and of itself can cause, you know, increased intestinal permeability, which is inflammatory. So that's kind of how we get to these extra in, in, um, intestinal issues. And when that happens, you know, that affects your ovarian production of uh, progesterone. Um, inflammation will increase estrogen. And then our hormones are removed through our stool. Some of our, you know, estrogen comes out through the bile and it goes through our stool. 
And if you have inflammation, you increase, you know, the opening, it's open for it, and you increase the circulation back into the system of your estrogen. So your estrogen is not allowed to leave you. And so, and so, you know, you have not enough progesterone, you have too much estrogen, and you, you know, you get PMS and you can get those migraines that we talked about. Um, also, there are bugs that increase something called beta glucuronidase, which is a big word, but it means that you don't, uh, you don't cleave the estrogen, you, sorry, you do cleave the estrogen off its little glucuronidase, which is allows it to leave appropriately. So then estrogen recirculates. So your gut plays a huge role in your hormones. And so like estrogen dominance is something I'll see uh, with um, gut issues. And then for our thyroid, you know, with SIBO, there's been SIBO and dysbiosis. When I say dysbiosis, I mean that just there could be the bugs down in the lower large intestine that are too much. We've done studies and we know that either fixing SIBO or balancing the microbiome can help reduce thyroid autoimmunity. And so like, you know, we have the largest amount of immune cells in our gut. And so they are connected and it also with the stress can affect your thyroid conversion of T4 to T3. And so it all is this big soup and the big circus that we want to get to a symphony, but it's not just one thing or the other, but your, your gut will definitely affect your hormones and, you know, insulin and cortisol, all those things play a role when you're, when your gut isn't happy um, to say the least. And that's just sort of the tip of the iceberg, but it's uh, what it's important for everybody to understand at least. Gotcha. You explained it perfectly. My gosh, I, I understand it a little better now. <laughs> um, hey, going back to the breath test, um, oh, yeah. are there any tests for SIBO or is the breath test the one? Yeah. And so when it comes to treating people and um, I have, I have like a hierarchy, but as far as like testing specifically, so talking about testing, okay. you know, the, the gold standard is the carbohydrate breath, carbohydrate breath test. And you drink this, you know, carbohydrate, the sugar that, you know, and then you breathe into a bag, basically it's a kit and you breathe, uh, for over three hours, you don't breathe in that bag for three hours, but it, um, if you have bugs in your small intestine, they will ferment those sugars right away and then you'll breathe it off. Okay. And so okay. we can see if you're breathing off hydrogen or methane and it, you know, and that just plays in, you know, the symptoms, like when you have those symptoms, those symptoms are because you have bugs there and they are eating the food before you and they're eating the fiber and bloating and it's really uncomfortable and it's not going all the way down and it's affecting digestion. So that's the, the gold standard for the SIBO breath test is doing that. You know, sometimes if I do a stool test where I look at their microbiome, there's some things that can kind of kick me off to maybe this is what's going on, whether there's an overabundance of bugs and those tests, we're still learning a lot about them or there's overabundance or there's overabundance of a certain type of bug that says, mm, you know, they might actually have SIBO too. And, and I've used that tool where I'm like, mm, I think what you do is do a breath test to see what's going on. So as far as testing, that's sort of my, you know, the okay. ways you can do it. Yeah. Now, um, how about, could you talk to us a little bit about how do you distinguish between uh, SIBO and like IBS that you talked a little bit about? Like, uh, how do you distinguish that, the difference between them? 
so, so they're very similar. The symptoms can be very similar. However, IBS is a functional syndrome um, and it's characterized more by the abdominal pain. And then you have pain with going to the bathroom that is relieved after you go to the bathroom. And there's really not that with SIBO too much. It's more pain after eating because of the bloating or maybe pain oh. because of constipation. But, you know, about, you know, remember about a third of uh, people with IBS have SIBO. So, and some, you know, people with celiac can have SIBO. And so it's a mixed bag. And I, you know, I find a lot of people who come to me who say I have IBS and that's it, but I can give them probiotics. We can work on their diet and their IBS can resolve. So it is sort of a basket, you know, a trash can term of just, you know, there's no other answers for what you have. Gotcha. Um, now, how about do, uh, does, are there any foods that trigger C, uh, SIBO or overgrowth of these bacteria? So I always want to tell everyone is sugar feeds the bad guys, fiber feeds the good guys. But then if you have too many of the bad guys, sometimes they'll eat the fiber. And so it's a balance. And so sugar, high sugar, high FODMAP foods will feed the bugs. But usually when we get here, usually it's a structural. And then when you have the bugs there, foods higher in FODMAPs, which are uh, a type of carbohydrate that the bugs love to eat. And you can look up what, a, what high FODMAP foods are like apples, onions, garlic, those, you know, people are like, oh, if it's on sometimes it's a question I'll ask. I'm like when you eat, you know, onions and garlic and apples and cauliflower, do you feel worse? And they're like, yeah, it's like, those are healthy foods, but I feel worse. And that can give me a tip off to that being something that feeds them. But a high FODMAP diet doesn't cause the SIBO. It really is you know, after it's there, then it's something that we have to work on uh, to help it go away. Um, but really just inflammation and sugar is probably the biggest one once it's there. Gotcha. So let's move on and talk then what are some uh, treatment options? Oh, what's out there? So, well, when some, so when someone comes to me and like talking about just gut in general, first thing, you know, I'm not going to just test them up the first time I meet them, you know, so first time I'm going to ask them, you know, talk about their diet. And if they're on a probiotic, we start a probiotic. SIBO can be fixed with probiotics. There's studies okay. for about 20% of cases that can be fixed with probiotics. So probiotics and diet changes are always my first go around because um, if you're eating really poorly, then some of these symptoms are just eating not well. And I don't need to subject you to a test or anything like that. Um, but if that doesn't work. So if I talk about diet, you know, either trying to go paleo where we remove allergens and inflammatory foods and some people with autoimmunity, we go to, you know, the antigenic foods and low FODMAP food even, and there's not any it changes. Well, low FODMAP, if they have a benefit, then we'll go to testing. And if they're positive, you know, if they're positive with, you know, that they, they're either positive on the testing or they um, or do better well on a low FODMAP diet, your options are, are start with two different ones. One's an antimicrobial regimen. It's about two to three months. Um, it includes herbs like berberine, olive leaf, uh, clove, and sweet wormwood. And then the other option is an oral antibiotic rifaximin, um, which, uh, or zifaxin, um, which is still under patent. So it's very expensive. So it can be up to two grand. So if someone has wow. good insurance, we'll do that. But if they don't have good insurance and it's going to be two grand, we're not going to spend two grand. We will do the herbal antimicrobials, which takes longer, but it also has the benefit that if there are yeast or protozoa or fungi, we can clear those out um, as well at the same time. 
Um, and, you know, we reevaluate if they're about 70% better, then I leave them alone. We give our body time to heal. If they're about 30 to 40% better, but not 100%, we might repeat it, but with added biofilm breakers like NAC or other uh, and, uh, biota dissolve or make sure they were taking their probiotics. But if they're not better at all, or they had a bad reaction to the antibiotic or the antimicrobials, we'll do an, an elemental diet, which is, I don't know if anybody's ever really heard of an elemental diet or a semi-elemental -element, diet, but it's basically a liquid diet with the food you know, in its elements. So amino acids, because you want proteins, you know, sugars, no fiber, you know, fats, it's fully nutritious, but we basically starve them out for two weeks. Um, it's, you know, some people find it, you know, pretty severe, but then they feel so good. They're like, I don't even miss food. And so for two weeks, we can starve the bugs enough so that they, um, they go away if they had a bad reaction to any of the like die off of the other things. Um, so, um, you mentioned some supplements, could you, uh, review those again? Like what yeah. uh, supplements do you kind of recommend? Yeah. So when, so depending on what they're doing, so whatever their treatment is, you know, if we're, if we're on the antibiotic or antimicrobial, I have them continue their probiotic and then maybe do some enzymes for digestive support. And then if it's their second round, or if they think they're going to be a harder case, I'll put them on NAC. So N-acetylcysteine, which, you know, has gotten a lot of press recently, but it's a great antioxidant and it's actually great for breaking up biofilms in the gut lining. And so I'll do that or something called biota dissolve, which is, you know, an enzyme, a systemic enzyme breaker, um, but then I'll also usually have them, if they're constipated, use magnesium citrate. So we make sure we're clean. It's all about movement here. We got to make sure we keep things moving. Hopefully the constipation will resolve and you don't need it. But I do use that. Um, and if there's a lot of adrenal issues, I will put them on either adaptogenic herbs um, or glandular support even as well, which can help heal the gut and improve the microbiome at the same time. Got you. Wow. Well, um, Dr. Lee, thank you for discussing this topic with us and sharing all this great information. Um, now, how can uh, someone reach out to you? So our, uh, our website is the T-H-E-L-E-E-Clinic.com. Um, and we have in our phone numbers 540-542-1700. We're open Monday through Friday from I think nine to five basic hours. So you can always give us a call yeah. um, or you can email contact at the Lee clinic. Um, we're pretty good with emails, getting those back, but um, yeah, that's the best places. Well, I'll make sure to put that contact information in the show notes. And uh, thank you everyone for tuning into the compounding center connections podcast. We hope you found the information presented today to be helpful. If you have any comments or questions, please feel free to reach out to me at j at compoundingcenter.com. Subscribe to our YouTube channel and our podcast channel, The Compounding Center Connections, and stay tuned for future episodes. Thank you. Bye. Thank you, Jay. Bye. Bye.